This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Burns Clan. Please follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the founder of The Witness, very extensive bio, the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Dr. Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? I'm going to start saying they can follow me, too, not at my socials, at my newsletter, jamartisby.substack.com. Now, <laughs> I almost don't even want to keep going. <laughs> They won't Why'd forget. Why'd you put the bing in it's like It's like, it's like a, a, a tagline and a Why promo. The There's got to be, you know, almost like a jingle. We'll, we'll make a jingle of it. Oh, man. Jamar, we here. Um, and I feel like I want some smoke today. Really? I'm not to smoke. I okay. want smoke. Okay. Um, and some of y'all know this is a this is urban colloquialism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got to explain it. You Listen, <laughs> yo, I, I'm, I am riled up. Mm. because there's a situation that's going on that is getting national attention and it involves you. And so whenever it involves my homie, I start to have some thoughts and feelings and I start to get riled up. And it's about this place you visited called Grove City College. What happened? What is going on? Because I know a lot of people want to know. They've seen the Twitter threads. They've seen the news articles. They've seen all of this. What's happening at Grove City College? My guy, it's a whole thing. I visited there October 2020. Okay. 2020. Um, Grove City is a very conservative school. We'll come to find out they really mean politically conservative far more than any theology. But basically, more than a year after I visited, in November 2021, a group of Parents and former students came out with this petition talking about the creeping influence, supposedly, of critical race theory Hmm. at the school and how that was leading to mission drift. That set off a whole series of exchanges, which included the president of Grove City College and eventually ended up in a subcommittee being formed out of the board of trustees, which then came up with a report about the presence of critical race theory, supposedly, at the college and reaffirming their commitment to conservative values. This was a 23-page report. One entire full page was devoted to my visit there. And in particular, a chapel message I gave, which is available online right now, where people can go and listen to this 21-minute message that caused such a stir. But it was one of the pieces of evidence that they used to say, yes, critical race theory has been introduced at Grove City College, but we're going to cut it off at the knees and make sure that it doesn't spread any further. Wow. A 23-page report. One page devoted to you, and that's also a page that I read, where someone had the audacity to write that 
a quote from someone saying that the Jamar Tisby who we brought, who we invited in 2019, is not the same Jamar oh, yeah, Tisby yeah, yeah. that came in 2020. So if we break it down, the biggest thing they said was, in hindsight, it was a mistake to invite me. And they literally use that word, it was a mistake. And then they also claim that when they originally invited me in 2019, before the pandemic, and then it got delayed, my visit there got delayed by the pandemic, they said, in that time, I had changed. Hmm. And who they thought I was, was now different. So the bigger context in that page was, they said, it was a mistake to invite me. Hmm. And they literally said that word, it was a mistake to invite me. And then they marshal as evidence and as excuse, basically, that they originally invited me in 2019, but when the pandemic came, it delayed my visit. And in that time, between the original invitation and when I actually came in October 2020, I had changed. I wasn't the Jamar they thought I was. Wow. Okay, so let's zoom back. I have a lot of thoughts on this. And I think that this is probably a deeper web and I want people to lean in. I don't normally say this on a podcast episode, but I want people to lean in because I think this has tremendous implications for how we talk about justice and our future conversation. Okay. Um, let me zoom back out here. So you receive this invitation, it gets delayed. You go there in late 2020. How was your experience? What was your experience like there at Grove City College? So first of all, it's October 2020, three weeks before the presidential election of 2020. Mm -hmm. And everyone, Democratic, Republican, everyone in between, felt the import of this moment. Like, whatever was going to happen next was going to be huge. If Trump got reelected, if Biden got elected, right. we all remember right. that, right? So that was the context. I'm driving, I fly into Pittsburgh. It's a little over an hour to Grove City College from there. I'm driving through Western Pennsylvania, which is heavy, heavy, heavy Trump country, right? And that matters because of my racial views, my racial justice views, as opposed to what Trump has demonstrated and, and, and all of that. And, and there's just sign after sign after sign in promotion just out there. And it's it seems to be everywhere. So that's the context going in. I'd never been to Grove City College before. I knew it was conservative, but there's a spectrum. There's a range. I don't know what kind of conservative that I'm dealing with, but I was anxious a little bit, as I often am, honestly, at Christian colleges, which is a whole issue in and of itself. So, so I don't mean to interrupt you, but I do want to ask. So Grove City, you said it's conservative, do you know how many students attend there? Like over how big 2, is it? 2,000. Yeah. Okay, so it's over over 2,000 mm -hmm. students. And uh, how many students of color? So literally a handful. Um, I got some demographic data from the school. And it lists that students who identify as black or African-American are 0.7% of the student body. Under 1%. Under 1%. Okay. This is very interesting. It's over 90% white. The faculty and staff, far over 90% white. Okay. So not a lot of black faculty, maybe two or three. One, as far as I wow. know. As far as in the classroom. Okay. So so now some of this is starting to make sense. Okay. So you, you get there, you pass through Trump country, you get there, and then 
you have a few days there from what I understand, right? Or a couple of days there? Yeah, I'm there uh, a, a part of Monday, all day Tuesday, and then headed out on a Wednesday. What did you do? A lot. It was a full day on that Tuesday. I began with chapel in the morning. And that was the infamous message. That was the infamous where message. You, you showed us you had changed. <laughs> Apparently so. Do you so. listen to the podcast? Like, is this no. A- <laughs> um, and, and, and how then, do you know this? Do these, these people know you? Or they have like any long-term friendships there or something? No. And, and, and you can tell from the report. Because the report, as one of their, their, their lone black professor said, is not something in terms of scholarship or research that they would have accepted from one of their undergrads in a class. Wow. But that's a report that came out of this committee from the board of trustees. So they really don't have, especially this committee which wasn't involved in anything till stuff hit the fan, right? And and I know that because they reference how to fight racism. I don't think by name, but they reference some of the ideas in there, which is interesting because, A, I did not talk about how to fight racism at the... So, oh. so you asked what I did. I did the chapel. I I met with literally just a few of the students of color because there are only a few there, I had a lunch. I met with their the president's diversity council. Oh wow! Which, as I understand it, has has since been disbanded, so it's oh. not even functional anymore. And then I did an evening presentation. The evening presentation I haven't talked about this publicly, but I did a book talk on my first book, The Color of Compromise. Mysteriously, though, they had technical difficulties. This wasn't recorded. Now, some of the organizers there said, in all of their time organizing events. This had never happened before. Oh, so there had never been a technical difficulty until you? At least not to one one to where they couldn't record the talk at all. Wow. So that talk's not even available. Okay, wait. So the chapel was pretty much all the student body. That's right. Yes. The book talk, was it all the student body or portion? Was It was kind of more broadly. It was a very large group. It was mostly students. I'm not sure if they opened that to the public or not, but I spoke in that same chapel building and it was almost full. So it was a very large crowd uh, that evening, but that didn't get recorded at all. So when you talk to the students of color, and I'm, I'm going through this because I really want to hear your experience, because this really struck me strange on a couple of levels. Number one, because that statement shows that it's a lot of people that don't know you. I think you're being used in a broader mm. agenda. Mm. And then secondarily, you know, I'm, I'm just very surprised that people are responding this way when they invite you and they know who we are, what we do, all these types of things. So you, you talk with the students of color. What was their response to you being there to those conversations? Was it positive? You know? So typically when I go to Christian colleges and universities, students of color there are usually a small minority, and then black students in particularly a very small minority. So when I go, they're often grateful for my presence because I'm echoing and amplifying stuff they've already said and seen, right? right? It's not like I'm saying something new and revolutionary, but to to have their perspective sort of amplified – uh, on a on a on a public stage or with you know the the invitation of some group and and here's the other dynamic folks have to understand when we say you know I speak at a college or university it's it's a department it's an office it's an individual that facilitates that so it's not like 
the president or the ah, board of trustees is, is involved in all of this. This is typical and standard everywhere. So that means there is a mix of experiences. So the folks who invited me and hosted me among the faculty and staff all very gracious, all very welcoming, all very hospitable. And this is even at Grove City, right? And then students as well, you know, all very, almost all very curious, um, mm -hmm. very open, some more excited than others. You know, there's a definitely Absolutely. at a conservative yeah. Christian college, there's a spectrum of views. But by and large, I'm, I'm, I'm welcomed at that level. The real problem tends to come in at the alumni, the parent, the board of trustees mm. level, sometimes the administration, and sometimes some of the faculty, which was certainly true in the case of Grove City, have a problem with me. So I'm just saying there's nuance to this yeah, thing. Yeah, of course. Right? Of course. There's, there's different experiences. So my experience there, though, first story I heard was from a black staff member who had been at a fast food restaurant standing in line minding his own business and got called the N-word. And not only that, was followed wow. by the person in his car for several miles after he left wow. that restaurant. And this was at in the this same was city. At in the same city. So um, that it's in Grove City, um, and that's over, I think, ninety percent white as well. So it's 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 a whole context wow. and environment. Can we understand? This is what homogeneity does. Part mm -hmm. of it, right? Mm -hmm is it cuts us off from meaningful contact with anyone who's different and therefore their experiences and their perspectives, such that it doesn't even seem plausible that one could experience racism today, that one could experience discrimination today, mm -hmm. because that's so far outside of their social, political, ecclesiastical existence, it, 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 it doesn't ring true at all. Had that staffer even been able to talk to anybody about this? Or it was raw. It was wow. raw at that point. And this is, you know, wow. I don't think events this extreme, but it wasn't surprising to him, you know. So that's here's the other thing. This isn't just about one college or university. No, and we're gonna we're definitely yes. gonna get to that because this is, I think, representative of something broader. Absolutely. There's so much more I want to unpack in this story. Let's pause after hearing about this staffer. I want to take a break and hold some space for, for him. Um, but let's pause here and we're going to come back. I have so many more. We might need to do a part two on this because I have so <laughs> many more questions to unpack here. We'll be right back here on Pass the Mic. Hey folks, Jamar Tisby here, and I am so grateful for your support, your listening, your engagement with the Pass the Mic podcast. I'm wondering if this podcast has been helpful to you, challenging, encouraging, if you would consider becoming a paid subscriber to the podcast for as little as $1 an episode, you can help keep this good work going. Just visit patreon.com slash pass the mic. That's patreon.com slash pass the mic. We appreciate you for your support. So, Jamar, we're talking about your experience at Grove City College, which has now become a massive story. And after you met with students of color, after you had this chapel message, then you have a book talk. Again, were you receiving any pushback? 
you know, again, when it, these these events are sort of self-selecting, like the people who are actually interested in it tend to come and the ones who aren't don't. I will say for the evening event, they were giving double chapel credits. So it's a ah, nice little bribe to get yeah, students yeah. there. And so there was a broader than typical spectrum. Um, I remember getting some questions during the Q&A and afterwards that, you know, were from a perspective that was different than the one I was offering. That's not unusual, but I, I felt it. You know what I'm mm -hmm, saying? Mm -hmm. When you go into these environments, you can sort of, it, it, it manifests itself physically. There's a tightness. Yeah. There's a, it's almost a waiting for the blow to come kind of a thing. You hope it doesn't. And I wouldn't say that at the actual event, it was anything out of the ordinary, which is why this struck me as so surprising later, because they came up, they, 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 what I'm used to is people commenting online, maybe writing a blog post or something, mm -hmm. but this rose to the level of official documentation, first as a petition, and then with this report coming out of the subcommittee of the Board of Trustees. So timeline... You left there, and yeah. after you left, you, over a months later, you started to hear rumblings of something brewing. I don't think I heard anything till that petition came out over a year later. Wow. Yeah. And this, so who started this petition? They, it was anonymous, parents and former students, is what okay. they said in the first paragraph, and concerned members of the Grove City community kind of a thing. And they went through and outlined from their perspective how critical race theory was infiltrating because the brand, the sort of brand identity of Grove City College is conservative. Again, conservative meaning politically, uh, mm -hmm. and I would say more of a fundamentalist kind of Christianity. And that's their selling point. Right. That's what... And that's fine. You know, if people want that kind of education, that's fine. But when they did the report and they singled me out, they were saying, hey, it was a mistake to invite me. Right. Here's the other wrinkle, brother. They said, well, maybe he could have come and done a lecture. But to have him in chapel was the big mistake because that signs off on a speaker and his theology, wow. their views in a different way that's more central to the Christian wow. mission of this school. So here's how I interpret that, is theological segregation, theological supremacy. They're going to hate hmm. hearing this, but here's how it comes across in that action specifically saying it was a mistake to invite me, and in particular to invite me to chapel, which I believe comes from an assessment that another guy, Carl Truman, did, and, and, and they're sort of picking up on that. But here's what, what that implies in, in my view, is these folks talking about racial justice, they can offer a different perspective that we can hear and everything, but it's not legitimate mm -hmm. theology. Mm -hmm. It's not a legitimate theological standpoint. So therefore, you cannot have that in chapel. Is this, can, a, is this the same Carl Truman that called uh, the justice conversation a fad? 
Is this, um, is this that same Carl Truman? Who I don't remember. Race conversations about race, a fad, and then a couple years it's going to be another fad. Well, that comes around. This, this, that one. I'm not sure. Anyway, um, I got some for him later. Certainly. Um, uh, anyway, so, <laughs> so, but, 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 what that does? What? This is what frustrates me. Is folks don't see how that's throwing the entire black church tradition exactly. under the bus. Exactly. exactly. Right? Like my views are not novel no. in terms of racial justice from a Christian standpoint. In fact, so many of our historically black church traditions have have built a theology of understanding the Imago Dei yes. in the context of a racist white supremacist society that was devaluing them in so many ways. And so to say that it was a mistake to invite me in, and I'm quoting scripture, I'm quoting MLK, this is not novel stuff. So to say that it was not appropriate for chapel is to say that the black church tradition is not appropriate for their kind of Christianity. Wow. It is. So this re report, petition starts, and then, then they do an investigation. Oh my, yeah, well... What they called an what investigation. What they called an investigation. <laughs> so they investigated themselves, I guess. Is that what this is? So they took, they formed this subcommittee, all from the board of trustees, all white, and none of whom are equipped to assess anything about racial justice, racial climate. Um, I do know they did what the professor characterized as a hostile kind of interview when they interviewed the lone black professor wow. about the course that he co-taught, which was on cultural diversity and advocacy. And they had readings assigned from Ta-Nehisi Coates, Between the World and Me, from Robin DiAngelo's White Fragility and others. And they used that as evidence of right. creeping CRT. But the, the, the interview they did with this guy, he was not very pleased with at all in terms of their spirit and their approach. So this report comes out and now it's getting attention. Now because it's getting attention. It, now it's it, getting attention because I chose to say something. Why did you choose to say something now? I typically don't. I mean, right. we've been, we're not new to this, not Tyler. New. <laughs> like not we new. often get folks, Theo bros, as, as, as we often call it at the witness, um, hey, my bros, criticizing <laughs> what we're saying and doing, right? And and most of the time, we don't pay yeah. it any mind Keep because it it's mostly individuals saying this, and they've got their YouTube channel or their podcast or whatever it might be. This rose to an institutional level. There was a, a, a an institutional response to the original complaint, the original petition from the president of the college. That's what kicked it up a level. And then there was the institutional response of forming this subcommittee and writing this very poorly researched report that mischaracterizes almost everyone they name. What are some of the mischaracterizations? Because I want to really break down why this is hypocritical and also why this is poor scholarship yeah. and poor research. What are they missing? What are they What are they not telling the full truth about? So uh, uh, Dr. Andrea L. Turpin has written this, uh, written a, a really thorough breakdown of what they're missing and their methodology on a, a blog on Patheo. So I encourage folks to check that out. But they don't define critical race theory, which okay. is always the case. All they do is say why 
what they understand or what they're terming critical race theory is incompatible with the gospel and constitutes mission drift at Grove City College. So there's not a clear explication of terms or definitions. Then their research is very shallow. So this course that this black professor co-taught, there's two, maybe two and a half paragraphs on it and not very detailed at all. Mm -hmm. Their biggest complaint is not what students wrote, not what the teachers taught, but the books recommended right? And in their own report, they say how small this class was. It's been offered twice. The first time it had seven students, the second time it had eight, a total of 15, which they did the breakdown of how compared to all the classes taught yeah. and all the students taught. It's, 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 it's like less than 1% of students <laughs> are, are exposed to this class. Wow. But the, it's this big thing that makes it into the report, right? And then when they talk about me, it's shoddy research because they name checked my former employer at the Center for Anti-Racist Research, which I worked at for five months. And a Google search would tell you I'm no longer there. But they think that's sort of like, pun intended, the trump card in, in this thing <laughs> yeah. that he works for this anti-racist, re which to them is, you know, the, the poster child for what they understand as critical race theory. But let me just read to you from some of this because... And I can only do it in small doses because I get so upset. It says, um, a handful of chapel services included divisive racial themes. Mind you, hmm. I spoke, I think the very next chapel service was the black professor who spoke. And it was hmm. a message called No Segregation in Heaven. And I'm assuming <laughs> this is part of the handful. Isn't it interesting wow. that the black chapel speakers are named as infiltrating with critical race theory, which tells you how unfamiliar they are with any sort of black church tradition, Christian tradition. All right, then here's what they said. Well, uh, he holds an MDiv from Reformed Theological Seminary, which to them said, well, he's safe because they're conservative mm. like we are, right? And, and then they go on to say, well, we thought he would uh, effectively address the subject of racial reconciliation, but because it was delayed, the, the, the Tisby we got was not the Tisby we invited. <laughs> what drastically changed in the last year? And first of all, is it is it bad to change? Right. 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 Like we're supposed to grow. We're right. supposed to move on from spiritual milk to solid food. That indicates growth and progress and wisdom and understanding. They, they are setting it up like any change is negative. If I've changed, it's because I've learned more. Yes. Because I've understood more. Yes. But also, don't accuse me of not being the speaker you thought I was because you didn't do your research or your homework. Right. Like, my stuff is out there for, for right. everyone. It's right. on this podcast. Right. It's in Very my obvious. books with tens of thousands of Very words. Obvious. It's on my blog posts. It's where I've written. So there's no excuse that, that, that for you saying, oh, well, we didn't know what we... First of all, y'all came in late. This was the office of multicultural diversity and advocacy, which they call an office, but it's one person. Wow. Okay. It's one person. Whoa. A lot of Christian colleges and, and schools will do this. One person, understaffed, underfunded, all of that stuff. But we have an office. Right. So they can check that box, right? So they didn't, the board didn't know anything about this. And they, when they compiled this report, it's clear they still don't know about this. Wow. They still don't. Okay. It goes on. All right. So they talk about my book, How to Fight Racism. Among other things, they label progressive policies relating to voting, immigration reform, criminal justice reform, government funding, political activism. Mind you, what's unique about Grove City College, they don't accept any government funding for like 
tuition mm. support or scholarships or anything like that because they want to be independent. Of course. And do their thing. Wow. So that's why they mentioned government funding, political activism, forms of racial separation, in which I'm talking about the need for people of color, black people who are a minority in majority white spaces to have places of affirmation, places of refreshing. Yes. Which I always say is not to stay in those groupings and never interact with anyone. It's so that we actually have the necessary strength, encouragement, and rest that we need to go out again Hmm. and interact in these predominantly white spaces. So point being, they list this litany of things, which I didn't talk about at the school. They just looked at my book, probably, I mean, it looks like they looked at the table of contents, to be honest. (laughs) Right, So, 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 and then they label them all progressive policies, which is a signal, okay, this is about conservative politics, not theology, right? Okay. Um, Then we go on. Uh, Here's the exact quote. The Jamar Tisby we thought we invited in 2019 is not the Jamar Tisby we heard in 2020 or that we now read about. What are you reading? Yeah, what Who does that are you mean? reading? Yeah, that we read about. Because I does feel that like this entire page is they read somebody else who said mm-hmm. something about me and, and all of this stuff, right? And, and, and isn't that often the case? Yes. They're not going to the primary sources. Like, I would assume their professors at the college are encouraging their students to do. Hmm. They're reading somebody who, who wrote something who may not have ever read anything that I wrote or did. Okay. And then here's the kicker. We allow that in hindsight, inviting Mr. Tisby to speak in chapel was a mistake. Hmm. We invite many people to visit campus to teach a class or speak in a lecture hall. Inviting anyone to speak in chapel appears to place the college's stamp of approval on the speaker's message. Here's the thing. They didn't quote my chapel at all my chapel speech at all. They didn't address anything that that actually said, I actually said, I noticed that, (laughs) that this college's stamp of approval was on, that they didn't want the college's stamp of approval on. And I'll tell you this. I mean, first of all, it's publicly, I'm not, judge for yourself. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about why this is particularly a problem for Grove City College. Because there's stuff behind the scenes. Oh my, yes. That are swirling. So number one, I do want to point everybody to there's Twitter threads of Grove City faculty yes. coming out now and rejecting this report yes. and encouraging the board to reject this report. But then also there's other, there's a web behind the scenes. Yes. The of, plot thickens. Of how they're portraying themselves publicly, but what they're doing privately. So I'll conclude on the report in terms of what they said about me. Um, My call to action in that chapel message addressing college students was this radical idea. Learn. (laughs) Build your awareness. We can't be proactive about learning about racial justice while you're in this season of life where you are focused on education. That was the punchline. That was apparently what was so radical and bad. And in between, I quoted, uh, I, I, I based the, the, the message off Esther chapter four. I mm-hmm. quoted from MLK. I talked about the civil rights movement of our day. Here's the part they didn't like. I said to the students, 
you are in the demographic that MLK would call the white moderate. Right. And I basically said, you can choose whether that's true you of you. be. Yeah, yeah. Because right now, what you, whatever you're doing right now is exactly what you would have done in the civil rights movement of the 1950s yes. and 60s. Yes. Apparently that was, okay. So anyway, moving on from that. Now we dig into the actual subcommittee and some things come to light. Firstly, the board of trustees chairperson is a guy named Ed Breen. Ed Breen was not on the subcommittee that formed this, but he's on the board mm-hmm. of trustees. Mm-hmm. Ed Breen is also the CEO of DuPont. Hmm. That DuPont. Wow. The mega corporation DuPont. And the DuPont Corporation has made a very vocal stance in support of racial justice initiatives, including diversity, equity, and inclusion. Wait, what? Yeah. And the president ostensibly has signed off on this in his multi-million dollar corporation. But when it comes to Grove City College, diversity, equity, inclusion is a problem. It's a sign of critical race theory. It's a sign of mission drift. So I'm wondering if I'm an employee at DuPont, what does our president really believe about this stuff? Wow. Because is he co-signing? I'm just asking questions. Is he co-signing a report that is condemning some of the actions, initiatives, resources that yes. he's approving for the corporation. Wow. That's a bomb. <laughs> it's up to Ed Breen. Wow. There's another uh, board of trustees member who's a pastor of a larger church, and they have an entire page on their church's website dedicated to racial justice, hmm. in which they list several resources. Not one, but two of those resources, one directly on the page, one linked, is to Brian Stevenson, who is also named explicitly in the report as evidence of creeping critical race Wait, theory whoa, in Grove whoa, City whoa, College. Whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. So he's good enough for his church. But not Grove City College students, apparently. Wow. And not only that, they link to a book list that has... Between the world and me, oh. right? Fragility, right? <laughs> the same, the same books right. that they that say. They wow, call out in this report. So, if so, it's good enough for your corporation, if it's good if it's good enough for your church, why isn't it good enough for a Christian college? Right? Why is it problematic in this Christian college setting, which is supposed to, to be learn? Yeah, engaging in different ideas, different viewpoints, right? But when it comes to your corporation or your congregation, you know, again. That's up to these individuals how you want to how you want to do that. I just thought with something like this, if you were for racial justice in one setting, you'd be for it in another. Keep the same energy. Keep that same energy. So there's all of that, um, and what this has also caused is for more people to speak out. Mm-hmm. So these are public comments now. So you can look at. I've been posting about this for a week. And you can look at the comments on there, many from parents of Grove City students, many from alumni, some from even current students. I got a message from a black student who had to transfer out of Grove City, go to another school because the environment there was too My much, goodness. too My much goodness. to deal with. Notably, one, their only black professor, according to, to 
his accounting, he put out a Twitter thread talking about his experience. By the way, he's an adjunct there. He's not full-time. He's been adjuncting hmm. there for, I think, nine years. He's the one who co-taught this diversity um, and, and advocacy course. And he's talking about his experience that he says, you know, basically he said, I'm black everywhere I go. And right. I talk about this stuff. And it's really disappointing. And, and he did it all the right way. So even before he went public, he spoke in person with the president of the college. And you know, doing everything the way you're supposed to do and still getting attacked because he's teaching this course, wow. not getting support, all of those kinds of things. So, so this is my burden, Tyler, is I spoke up because they named me specifically in the report and I wasn't going to let this official documentation go without a response. But my real concern is people like the professors of color there the handful of staff of color there, the handful of black students and students of color there who daily have to live yes. in and maneuver yes. this environment. And when I go to these schools, that's why the students are grateful to see me. It's because they finally see we're not alone in this. We've got somebody who's not um, beholden to the institution in the same way and can say the things we want to say. We've got somebody who supports us and has our back. And this is what I would say to the board of trustees, to the subcommittee, to any faculty or students at Grove City or similar institutions who got a problem with me, who got a problem with what I'm saying, who got a problem with me making this public. It's about preventing harm. So when you listen to the testimony mm -hmm. of the people there who are actually experiencing racism, you hear that and you come back and you decide what to do with that because either you are deaf to the concerns of this group or your heart will be broken over and you'll want to see the same changes they're asking for. But what I find so tragic and heartbreaking is that people see an episode like this, immediately jump to their own sort of ideological corner without understanding what would it take for a student to decide, apply, take the tests, get accepted, enroll at a school. You know, you're, it, 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 it's this feeling of, of excitement and elation and I'm a next step in a moment mm -hmm. to get there and decide that it's so harmful here. I have to transfer schools. Can we let that guide our judgment? Can we let that guide the courses that we teach, the way we talk about race, who we hire? That's all I'm asking. And what you're mentioning, Jamar, is really the heart behind the witness and pass the mic. That whenever we talk about these things and whenever we push what some people would consider very controversial ideas or um, call out the status quo or speak truth to power, what we, what we are thinking about and who we are thinking about are the people within those organizations who will never have this opportunity. So it's ostensibly passing the mic to them, even if they can't grab it themselves mm. and saying, we will not allow these larger institutions and organizations to think that they can go unchecked and unchallenged when they miss, continue to misappropriate and misconstrue basic facts <laughs> and when they continue to say one thing in one setting and not keep the same energy and say the same thing in a setting 
where there are Christian college students or alumni or parents who are very powerful, who are putting pressure on them not to talk about these things or not to say these things because of a conservative political framework that they refuse to interrogate. We will not do that. That is not what we are going to, that's not what we are about. And if people expect us to do that, I'm sorry, you're never going to get that. Mm. And so we've, we've seen and heard too much. And felt it. Yes. Yeah. We've been through too much to be quiet. And that's, that's why I'm glad you spoke up. I know it's, it's exhausting to speak up. We normally don't speak up about these things. There are things that people have said about us. You get far, far, far levels above what I get, but there's things that people have said about the work that we do here and people here and staff members. Oh, they think we're not even Christian. And we keep it moving, yeah. you know, we, because we, we want to spend our energy building right. rather than defending. Right. But sometimes you have to, to draw a line and say, wait a minute now. Now you're getting into territory where you think you can just say anything. Right. You think you can deliberately misconstrue truth and facts without evidence and with poor scholarship, and we're not going to say anything. That might be the most galling part of this report is intellectually, methodologically, it's lazy. So you didn't even think enough of what we were saying or doing to do a thorough job. You were just checking a box. So we didn't even rise to that level of importance that you would take real care in doing this. Now, I'm not saying it didn't take time, but it, it, it didn't result in anything that anybody who was concerned about thorough research and precision would be yeah. proud of. So I'm like, well, what does that say about what you think of us? You know, but all I'm saying, all we're trying to do So many of the negative reactions are centering self. Yes. Yes. How yes. does the picture look when you center black people and people of color in the conversation? The people who experience the most detrimental effects of a system that tends to work for the majority. But the health of any institution is measured not by how the most advantaged people do, but how the most disadvantaged people do. The health of any institution is measured not by the health of the most comfortable, but how they treat the most vulnerable. So if that's our perspective, the whole equation changes. Hmm. Hmm. That's a word. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.